Hello, welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Jenny. And today we're talking about As You Were mm-hmm. and loyalty. Yes. And I will say, at least in terms of Buffy, I approve of the episode name this week. <laughs> yeah. Angel is fine. It doesn't yeah. strike me one way or the other. Angel has never been that creative with theirs because they always wanted to have it like a one word title. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I liked Boring. the military play. Yeah, on as you were. So. I agree. Especially because in my head, like I hear Riley say it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Back in his initiative days, like as you were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, it was an interesting episode. I'm very interested to talk about it as I have some confl- yeah. conflicting thoughts to sort, sort through. But first you told me that you had a cat story, so... No, no, a not-cat story. It's not a cat story? No, it's not what? a cat story. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I gave you this great tease right before we started recording. You did! I thought I was going to hear this amazing Aww. story about Ripley. <gasps> well, oh. she is amazing. Fine, she's, what else is going she's on? She's sitting here <laughs> bathing herself as we record. I don't think anyone will be able to hear that, I hope. Um, <laughs> no, well... <laughs> So the other weird thing that happened to me, well, I was giving Allie this whole story about how my cat was supposed to be behaving yesterday, but that's frankly not that interesting. <laughs> Sorry I made you listen to it already. Uh, let's not record it. But I, uh, okay, so I told, I don't know if you saw this, but I was telling some of our friends in a group chat about how the other day, okay, we got a Google Home for, as a gift. Oh, yeah. I really didn't want one, but fine. It, for for, for, yeah. re, for reasons, I, we hooked it up. And I have pretty much been using it as a very expensive kitchen timer, which is to say that the only thing that I really do is say, like, hey, set a timer for 10 minutes. (laughs) It is nice, but, you know, whatever. Okay, this is not a product review. What I'm getting at is that I mentioned to you, I think you saw this the other day, that my Google Home decided to be creepy as everything. And I was doing the dishes and I had my little iPad next to me as I was watching streaming some YouTube. And out of nowhere, my Google home said, you know, you like it. And then she just (laughs) said that to me. And I was like, excuse me. I was like, I, that is the weirdest thing for anything to say, because here's the thing. Normally when you like, if you give it command, you say like, Hey Google do blah, blah, blah. And it will say like, okay, how about blah, blah, blah. Like it, it always has that, like, like an opening, like, okay. And then some sort of cadence of like a response. So like, it didn't have that, which made it even weirder. I, and then I was like, Hey Google, what did you just say? (laughs) She said it again. So at least she was consistent and she understood what I was asking. I'm saying she, cause it has a lady voice, but anyway, it was really creepy. So then I just unplugged it and I haven't been using it because (laughs) it was really creepy. And that was more or less the end of my story, except that the other thing is that I guess I, this is also just a log of all the electronics that I have in my home. But we got um, a Roomba type vacuum for Christmas and it's great because I wanted it because I knew we were trying to get a cat and it's helpful. But it has also started glitching out on me. And yesterday I came home and I found some of Ripley's cat toys like kind of knocked around. And I was like, oh, crap, it probably came on like I had this timer set or something. And it, and it's not, it's not good. Cause like it is, it's, it's, it's pretty good at not running into things or like falling off of ledges, but it's not great at like avoiding wires. And like all her toys are like little things that it'll, that it'll suck up and then it like gets mad and then the toys get ruined. So anyway, I found one of her toys, like kind of sp- sp- screwed around. So I like went to look at my device and realized I had, had set the timer on accident so that it would run automatically. And so I was like, cool, glad I figured that out, turned it off. 
Today I came home, same exact thing. And I looked at it, and it's not set to go off. I guess I'm just putting all this out here so that w- when I die mysteriously, everybody knows to start with the, all the electronic devices in my home because they're clearly all conspiring. I don't know if the Google put him up to it. I don't know what's going on in my house. All you're reminding me of is that when I mistakenly watched Paranormal Activity 2. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> the sign of the demon was that all the electronic stuff started going Oh, God. Weird. Now I'm going to have nightmares. Yeah, me too. Well, anyway, it was really creepy. And it's also, frankly, really irritating with the vacuum. It's just like, I meant to Google it and then I had to watch Angel, so I didn't. But I will later. Like, why are you not just behaving the way you're supposed to? That's worse than when the cat misbehaves because electronic devices should really be predictable. Or, like, maybe we've now given ghosts a means of communication. (laughs) Okay, but, Allie, Google saying, I know what you like to me, or you, I think, (laughs) I forget if it was you know what you like or I know what you like, but either one of those is really creepy. And I can't imagine any question I could ask it where that would be the appropriate (laughs) response. Like, why is that programmed in there, Google? (laughs) I guess my other question would be, who gave you the gift? Oh, um, I'll tell you. Because then it was a you gift. could, like, ask a... them if they, like, sneakily programmed No, this is from a family member. I really don't think so. <laughs> and that I'm sure that thought. I also only gave that lead-in, or the uh, background that I was watching something on YouTube, because I'm sure that, that said, it said something that set it off. But again, it's just like, what possible command could question could you ask your device where that would be the thing it should say to you? <laughs> I don't know. Are any of your devices trying to hell. kill you? I don't really have devices. I, um, I don't know. Your phone? Also, I'm pretty adamantly like anti-home assistance. I but, really am, too. Um, my phone doesn't talk to me. Half the time, I forget Siri's there. Like, I yeah, accidentally hold down the home <clears throat> button too long, and she's like, what can I help you with? And I'm like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had some headphones that were malfunctioning this week, too. Did I, like, get struck by lightning or something and not realize it? Like, literally, everything is glitching on me this week. Maybe there was, a, like, an electrical surge in your building. Yeah, maybe. Ugh. Maybe your neighbors are doing it. I don't know. Maybe. Can Google Home hear through the vents? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> she could do anything, I think. <laughs> I should unplug her again. Maybe the trio got to it. Uh, that's a pretty good segue. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> Although they're not really in this episode. But No, they're not. Although... Buffy does kind of mention that she's dealing, with, dealing nerds, with nerds, so yeah. she apparently was watching <clears throat> Star Trek as research. I know. <laughs> that was cool cover, Buffy. Don't buy it. <laughs> um, okay, so speaking of Buffy, mm-hmm. um, we watched As You Were, and as we mentioned, it was a military reference because guess who's back in town? Mm-hmm. It's Mr. Riley Finn. So Buffy's... Still working at Double Me Palace, still wearing that god-awful uniform, still sleeping with Spike, still bringing home Double Meat Palace burgers for Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, basically generally just feeling like she's in a rut. Um, but who should walk into Double Meat Palace but Riley Finn? And he kind of does it in this really dramatic way. Like, you know, he's like, no time to explain. Like, are you in? There's a mission. Let's go. And so she... Literally takes off her cow hat and mm-hmm. marches out the door and um, goes off on this like mission with Riley. And we find out that he's, you know, still working special ops for the government. He's tracking a certain demon from South America. And, you know, he's on the trail of this demon and needs Buffy's help finding it. 
and um, you know they they basically go all across Sunnydale trying to find this thing. They end up in some kind of I'm assuming like a dam or something. Mm-hmm. It's like some yeah. kind of like hydroelectrical yeah. plant or something. Weird that that's and, in Sunnydale, but sure. Yeah, and you know the whole time like they're kind of sort of catching up with each other, but not really getting into specifics. But sort of it's kind of awkward. They're kind of getting used to being around each other again mm-hmm. and making small <clears throat> talk. Um, and then so they get to the bottom of this dam and, you know, there's a, well, I think it's supposed to be a moment of, like, sexual tension or mm-hmm. something. It's Whether it is or not, we can discuss. Sure. But, um, <laughs> but then another agent shows up and come to find out it's Riley's partner and in both business and his wife. Mm-hmm. So... Riley's married, kind of shocking for Buffy. Um, But before she has time to really process this information, the demon shows up and Buffy just kills it. Um, What Riley had neglected to tell her was that they didn't want to kill the demon because they need the demon to track to it and lead them to its nest of baby demons that are going to hatch and like immediately start murdering everyone in Sunnydale, apparently. Um, So they all split up to try to find information on who this dealer might be that imported the eggs or whatever, someone called doctor or something. Um, Riley and his wife, whose name, is it Sam? Am I? Yes. Remember? Yes, her name is Sam. They split up to go um, find out who it might be, and Buffy goes to Spike's, um, tries to pretend she's just going to ask him for information, but really, you know, one thing, one, one very short conversation leads to another, and she ends up sleeping with him. Um, but meanwhile, Riley has tracked down who the so-called doctor is and finds out, lo and behold, that it's Spike. So he shows up at Spike's lair and mm-hmm. discovers him and Buffy and doesn't really say much, but, you know, alerts Buffy that Spike is who they're looking for. Buffy's obviously, first of all, appalled because she asked him, he said no, and also disbelieving that Spike is intelligent enough to do something like that. Turns out he's not because he didn't freeze the eggs, so they start to hatch. And um, Buffy and Riley end up basically blowing up Spike's crypt, or at least the bottom level of it, with a grenade to kill all the little baby demons. Um, Buffy kind of tries to explain herself to Riley, but he's, you know, basically saying, you don't owe me an explanation. And also he kind of gives her a pep talk about her life that just because mm-hmm. it sucks right now doesn't mean that it always will. Um, and... He and Sam, you know, head back up into the chopper and Mm -hmm. away from Sunnydale. And Buffy basically tells Spike that whatever has been going on between them is over and she needs to stop using him for whatever she's been doing. Um, Meanwhile, Xander and Willow and Dawn are all various degrees of happy to see Riley again or, in Dawn's case, sulky about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Basically, they're just kind of playing catch-up and there for commentary. It's mostly, I mean, honestly, most of this episode is just Buffy and Riley out and about. Yeah. So And his new um, wife. She's and his new wife, yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's as you were. In general, I, I liked this episode. I, or at least I liked what it was doing, if that makes sense. Like, it wasn't the most exciting episode, and there were definitely, like, little things, like, it doesn't make any sense that Riley wouldn't have told her not to kill that thing. Like that's clearly just a plot device to like make her feel extra stupid and like look bad in front of his super hot new wife. Like there's no reason Riley. Well, I guess that's not true. 
because he's also feeling nervous about this whole situation. So I don't know. I'm not, I don't have a great point to start at. I just want to say that I mostly liked it, but it still felt, I'm not sure what it's lacking. I, I think the broader point that you're bringing up is that a lot of this episode, like makes sense on one level, like, the way Riley left, like it makes sense to me that they would always kind of want him to come back for. And a I, I think it did provide good closure. And right, provides closure. But something about it, the way that they wrote this, the choices that everyone's making, it feels really contrived. And yeah, I felt like, especially a lot of, like you said, like the pro- plot contrivances, like him not telling Buffy about the demon, him like neglecting Buff, to mention his wife, mm-hmm. like... Spike being the bad guy. I don't know. That Spike one being always- guy, all of this, like, <laughs> exactly, but it all feels like you can kind of see the gears working and not in a good way. Like, yeah. it's all very kind of weirdly stiff and formal yeah. and doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, Riley is a tactician. He's, you know, a soldier first and foremost. <clears throat> it makes no sense to send your soldiers out into battle without informing them of what's going on. It seems <laughs> no, like yeah, a like, mistake yeah. that he wouldn't make. Yeah. And, like, the whole, like, awkward silence, not really talking to Buffy. Like, Riley, even when, you know, he was weird around Buffy and all of that, like, he never really seemed to have an issue communicating. Right. So, I mean, I, I feel like it was all very... I guess I'm just going to keep saying the word contrived. I think I'm willing to forgive some of the awkwardness because I really do think both he and Buffy are in a particularly strange spot in this episode. Like they haven't seen each other in a year. He knows he's got to break this big news to her, but he can't let that get in the way of this other really urgent mission. You know, so like I, I understand it's really hard to see someone like that when it's like, no. Not that no good will come of it, but like, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to say, I think that they both have legitimate reason to be very uncomfortable around another, even though they wouldn't have been like that before. But yeah, I I guess it's like the finer points and the overall plot of this thing's just, it just was, it wasn't like exciting, but I really did think Riley was great in this episode. (laughs) I guess like, I don't know. I liked his speech a lot at the end and I generally like, I really like his wife. Like, I don't know. There was something about it that I did find satisfying. And I did think it was a nice piece of closure for us and for Buffy, but mostly for us who like had to wade through this terrible Riley storyline and see him act in all these stupid ways that he wouldn't. It's nice to get to see him again, kind of be more or less his normal self and get to be good for Buffy in the way that he always used to be. Yeah. I'm taking your silence for disagreement, but I'm not sure if that's what it is. (laughs) No, no, I, like, I, I see what you're saying on one level. Like, I do enjoy a lot of the ways that they brought him back and, like, what they're using him for. Like, in a lot of ways, it reminded me of this episode of Gilmore Girls where Buff, or Rory's <laughs> ex-boyfriend comes back and kind of tells her, you're being really stupid, yeah. you know, with your life. And, like, the message is different, but the idea is the same that this ex-boyfriend comes back to kind of set her back on the right track. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's a trope we need to have all the time I don't know but like in this particular instance I don't mind it because I think when Riley left the show despite in spite of itself yeah gave this gave also part of the way it was successful was this idea that Buffy really didn't understand what she wanted from Riley and out of the relationship and you know suffered as a result of that and so 
to have him come back and be the one to kind of give her a pep talk that he doesn't owe her that right. you know you could argue that the way she treated him you know he he owes her nothing but to to take the time to try to build her up and recognize hey like I don't know why but I can tell you're unhappy right now and it's okay it's temporary mm-hmm. I liked having him come back in that capacity, and I think it's also meaningful coming from a character who has no reason to tell her that. I yeah. mean, yeah, her friends it, yeah. could be in a position to do the same thing, except they're all wrapped up in their own drama, but they also, like, are too close to I it so I was just going like, to say, it needs to be someone enough. a little yeah. removed. Yeah. I guess I don't look at this as him, like, saving her in any way. It really felt a lot more like a... Like a story about, I don't know, I just, I feel like seeing her, having Riley there allowed her to kind of, yeah, to, it gave her that distance of like, oh yeah, my life wasn't always this way. And like, I feel like it's it's just more so that she gets to see herself reflected differently than she has been for the last, for this season. And I feel like that's like what is starting to snap her out of things a little bit. Like, I don't think it's that because he gave her the speech she realizes that, oh, I just need to behave differently and everything will be fine. Like, I don't think that's really the story that they're telling so much as just that, like, she just needed to be reminded that, like, things could be different and they were different and that she, yeah, like, the thing that's, the things that he said that, like, just because things are bad now doesn't mean they'll always be that way. I don't know. I don't, I definitely think he's more of the, like, mirror. He's, like, what she's seeing herself reflected in that's, like, allowing her to have some introspection that she's kind of been lacking, if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense, and I also think that's why it doesn't they have feel like discover... a trope to me so much as a just genuine story. Well, no, that's I guess a, when I say trope, bad... I'm saying I don't want <laughs> pop to culture that. to like turn it into a trope. Right, right, right. Like right. because that could be a thing. But, I see. Um, okay. Yeah, but I I do like that they have him discover her with Spike. Like it's yeah. totally unnecessary to the story, except <laughs> yeah. that. It's the only time Buffy would have someone truly react. Like, you know, she told Tara about it, right. and Tara is just trying to be there for Buffy and try to be understanding. And Riley, you know, he's not, well, he's not vocally judging her. Like, I think his mannerisms are kind of say, like, what he thinks about that whole situation. Right. But, like, he doesn't say anything to her. He doesn't address it. He doesn't even really want to talk about it. But I think she gets to see what it must look like from the outside. Right, and, like, right. Regardless of whether parts of it are fine. Like, we've seen her and Spike interact. I mean, I part know. of this is because the show wants exactly. to have it both ways, Exactly. Yeah, I have a comment about that as well, separately. But if they want to have it be bad and have it be this disgusting or problematic thing that Buffy is doing, having Riley come in and look at it that way from the outside right. is the only thing that's going to snap Buffy out of it. Because she also, let's not forget, like, she always wanted to on some level kind of impress Riley and yeah. she cared about what he thought <clears throat> and she valued his opinion. And so to see him come in and like react in that way must be like confirmation of something that she knows, like she shouldn't be doing right, this. Right. Whether they have the same reasons for thinking that, I don't know, but like it's yeah, kind of yeah. the, like the, the jolt that she needs to be like, what am I doing? I agree. And I feel like, Oh, I, yeah. Sorry. I guess we're just, this is the Riley segment of like why, what the things that I liked about Riley and Specifically, the thing well, we haven't gotten to talk about him in a while. So that's true. <laughs> Specifically, the thing that I like about his speech is the way that he kind of sets it up, where she's like, "God, you must think so badly of me." And I, I guess I'm just saying part or part of what I think really makes it work 
like what sells it, not just to me, the viewer, but also maybe to Buffy is that he doesn't completely sugarcoat it. You know, like he does kind of start his speech by saying like, well, I'm not going to tell you this line. I like, I always think about this line for no reason. Like where he's like, oh, you want me to tell you that like neon orange is your best color a blinding orange. Now I've screwed up the line because I was trying to brag about how I knew it, but whatever. I always think about the way that he says that. And you know, like, oh, that I liked seeing you with Spike and oh, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. There's just something about the way that he's like, he's, it's not like he doesn't recognize what's going on or what position she's in. And I feel like that's also kind of part of what makes his speech so compelling is that like, he's not just saying like, you're great, Buffy. Don't you remember? You're the slayer. Like you can do anything. He's not just giving her an empty pep talk. He's like really specifically saying like, Hey, some of these things are really bad, but these things about you are inherently true. I feel like that is just like such a, I get, I just really liked it at the end and I maybe got a little choked up and I'm glad that we got to see Riley finally out on the show on what I think is a far more appropriate note than the Mm -hmm. bogus nonsense that they did to him in season five. So I feel like, which thankfully like Spike tries to reference here and Riley just kind of shrugs it off. And I was like, that's what we all need to do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Shove that literally under the rug because no one cares and we'll pretend it didn't happen. So yeah. But you know where I think that is effective and where I think it actually adds weight to what Riley is telling Buffy is the last time we saw Riley, he was not in a good place. He was also That's true. doing things yes. that yes. didn't reflect well oh on God. him. He was really unhappy with his, his situation in life and like what had been happening. And then we see him a year later. He's happy. He's fulfilled. Yeah. So I think when he tells Buffy, like, he, you're he right, he's not it. sugarcoating yeah. what's going on. He's not saying it's okay. He's acknowledging, yeah, this kind of sucks. And no, you're not at your best and you're not like doing your best but it's mm-hmm. always temporary look at me I'm an example of how if you just decide to change it it can be better yeah I and not even just that if you decide but like thing the universe is also going to keep moving and changing right. like I think that's the, I mean yeah some of yeah. this has to be on Buffy but some of it's not I mean like she's still not going to be capable of holding down a job a yeah like that part job but yeah. like but that doesn't have to be yeah, a, like a signal to her that everything else has to suck too. Exactly, and I yeah. yeah, and just to fun final note, or we don't this has to be the final, but my final note about his speech is like, you're totally right to point out that the other reason that it's meaningful is because he's speaking from experience that very closely mirrors what's going on with Buffy. Um, but I also just something about him kind of referencing like the wheel of fate and time. I, I also just think was, I don't know, it was just like kind of. I don't want to say sophisticated because that sounds stupid, but like, I don't know. It's also true. And like, that's a theme in the world and in history and in literature. And I also just found that I just felt like that really resonated with me. Like, yes, to your point, she needs to make different choices and she needs to recognize her part in this, but the world is also huge and is going to keep moving regardless of what you're doing. And sometimes that's going to deal you a bad hand and sometimes it's going to give you something good. So I don't know. I just, on the whole, like that speech was a plus. It wasn't condescending. It wasn't empty it was so meaningful and so specific like it was just so good honestly I think that's a great point I really like that too um like lest we forget Riley was a grad student yeah. <laughs> but but also it's such a great thing to point out especially we talk a lot about how this season you know part of what makes it hard to watch is like these hard truths about growing up and adulthood and like the disappointments that can come with when you get to the future and it's not always what you thought it Mm -hmm. was but like I think back five years ago you know personally I was in a job that I didn't like Mm -hmm. I thought there was no way out of it I didn't know what to do I you know wasn't very happy but like I look back now and I'm like I barely remember that like (laughs) you know some of that was my choices some of it is this like idea of like life just keeps happening and 
ultimately something will change. And, you know, it's easy in the moment to feel like despair about it and like not see a way out. But five years later, like somehow something's always going to be different. Right. And like, you might be different. Your circumstances might be different. And I'm not saying like to just sit there and not try, but like, I just think in retrospect, you realize that, you know, one point in time, even if it's like your present, yeah. eventually it's going to be your past. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a year's time, Buffy can look back and be like, oh, God, I was just not in a good place. Right. But, but she went through it and she got out of it and she made choices. I'm saying she did this in the past, but right, she right, right. will be doing all these right, things. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but like, I just think it's really good advice it to is, like it not is. despair about the present. Exactly. And and that that was another note that I had, too, is that, like, it's not... Again, we've been talking a lot about, and I think that this is true and I don't necessarily have all the right vocabulary to discuss it correctly exactly but like if if you know Buffy's story is definitely also a story about being depressed and suffering from depression and it's not like I think oh just one good speech could snap you out of it and then everything's fine and I don't think that the show thinks that either because it's not as though like everything is suddenly golden in the next episode or anything like that but if you know he you can still give somebody good advice and I think he's doing that so I feel yes I Apparently, I love this speech so much that I can't shut up about it. But it was a really high note for this episode because I guess to our earlier points, there's a lot of like weird fussing and a lot of things that feel very orchestrated because they needed to happen that way. And that part was a little bit tiresome. It wasn't like the zippiest episode. It wasn't the most fun episode. But I guess as viewers, we've also been living in Buffy's despair for a while now. And to have anybody offer hope like also really felt like I needed it in the show in addition to like, maybe I should write this speech down and think about it from time to time. But like also just as a viewer, like God, did we need some sort of respite? And it did feel a little bit like it was like a peak of sunshine into like this really, really dark season. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, I think some of the attempts at humor didn't quite land. I thought Sarah Michelle Gellar's like acting choices were a little little odd, but at the same time, it's also like, she's sort of acting like she just had an electric shock and she can't quite figure out where she is and what she's supposed to be doing. So she's just sort of following after him right. wide-eyed with and like slack-jawed, which is a weird thing to see, but also at the same time, like... Maybe not inaccurate. Maybe that is the whole reaction yeah. to this. Like she has kind of had a shock and at the end of it, yeah. she is a little bit more determined to, you know, kind of snap out of it. Like this is just kind of the jolt that she needed. But, mm-hmm. you know, her... Her, rea- her, like, struck dumb reaction for 40 minutes was a bit odd. Yeah, yeah, that um, is strange. <laughs> it's true. My my hat has a cow on it. Like, you know, all yeah, this, like, I feel like it's yeah. supposed to be funny, but it didn't really, that didn't really land. But I did like the opening joke, though, where the vampire was like, you smell so bad that yes. I'm not even going to eat you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't so, well, there were a few other bright spots. I don't know. Is there well, okay, I'm not going to say that there weren't that some of the humor didn't land. But no, I agree with you that her humor didn't land. Yeah. <laughs> but if we want to talk about humor that absolutely worked, everything about Willow worked like yes. gangbusters for me. Yes. So. Oh my god. 
And I burst out laughing at the end. I agreed. I, I agreed. don't think I, I told, so I told you before that I had been, I watched this episode a few days ago and I've kind of, I didn't take notes, but I've had a chance to kind of let it sit with me. And what I meant by that was I cannot stop thinking it's so about good. Willow at the end of the episode. And I think it's some of the finest acting Allison Hannigan <laughs> ever did on this show. Just that heel turn that she has where she's like, okay, Ugh. bye. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. And then she just saunters over to Buffy and she's like, what a bitch. <laughs> so funny. I really cracked up at that too. Also, yeah. Oh my God. And I love that whole plot line also. Cause that's just honestly like that. That's what your friends do. You know, like it was a good, we've also been like seeing Willow be so awful. Like, it was like nice to get to see her do something not good. Like, I don't want to say like being mean to someone's girlfriend is like a good thing to do, but I hope people know what I'm saying, which is just that like, it is sometimes your job as the friend when like you're, to, to, you know, that's just what you say. It doesn't really necessarily mean anything one way or the other, but it's like, it's nice that she offered. And yes, that was like a killer closing line. <laughs> she did deliver it really well. <laughs> also, I think what I also really loved about it was it really felt like the old Willow. Exactly. Like that was a little bit of what you know, I was That's some season two at. Willow stuff. Right yeah. There, so. yeah. Yeah. No. Um, that said, I think, the I did really love uh, Sam. It, oh, is is she not great? Yeah, I the thought she was a good. Like, I thought she was a, she was good. What I can't tell is like. So I think the actress. I think she. What I can never figure out is every time I see her in anything, uh-huh. I, I find myself wondering if she's trying to overcome some sort of, accent. Yeah, because I, she had a very deliberate way of. That she does have a strange manner. Yeah. Which might be, that might just be what it is. And maybe uh-huh. I've just like seen her act with like too many varying accents. Yeah. Like that I just like don't know what's what. But I don't know. It was just kind of distracting. But yeah, I think she's she's great. Like I think I totally buy her and Riley. Like, yes. She's kind of like Buffy, but with everything Riley wanted, which was like emotionally accessible yeah. and not doomed to a destiny that she can't control. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess what I, I what I just appreciated about her was that like how also how clearly she saw the situation. You know, like she knew that she knew like it's clear that Riley told her most of the truth, you know, most of the background. I'm sure there were some details they left out, but it seems like she's pretty well briefed on who Buffy is and the fact that she was his first love. Um, and like, I guess I'm just saying that like, you know, Riley and Buffy get to be awkward in this episode, but it's, you can just totally tell how hard she's working to like be as, to smooth things over as much as she possibly could, which is like impossible, you know, like Buffy's not going to like her at the end of this, even though she's seems to be really cool and like says all the right things. But I, I guess I just really bought into that charm that they were trying to put on her, which is that like, oh, she's there. She's trying so hard to say the right things. And when she kind of steps in it with Willow, she then you know, saves herself by having this, like, even better, like, amazing outlook on Willow's situation and how much stronger she is than than these other shaman that she met before, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. I just thought that she worked really well. And I think maybe because, maybe the actress isn't great, or maybe she is, but I definitely felt like you could tell that she was working and it made sense for the episode. Like, I'm not sure if that was a choice or if she is, was working really hard to pull off the lines, but either way, I think it made sense. Yeah, and what I also really appreciated was it was a bit refreshing in that, you know, this very easily could have turned into her being jealous of Riley right, and Buffy, right. but like, 
she was so confident in her relationship with Riley that she recognized that it was awkward because Riley was, you know, seeing an ex for the first time that he left on very sudden circumstances and everything between him and Buffy, like nothing was settled, but like, she's so confident in where Riley has come in the last year and their relationship that it never even is a plot point that that she's threatened Mm -hmm. by Buffy on a personal level. Like she obviously admits that she's intimidated by the Slayer because, you know, she clearly seems like she would admire Buffy for like that part of things but at no point other than like her opening line which is a little off kilter with, yeah. with the rest of it but it's like she I just I thought that was great yeah, that it's like the security that she has like that that doesn't enter into it she's just worried for Riley because it's awkward yeah and I other you're right that in the beginning they do sort of try and play it as though there's some sexual tension I think to your earlier point it's clear that that's just a like device that they're using so that that act break can come and and she's going to show up and be like who are you his what you know like that was like very I don't think it was fit with the rest of the episode because other than in that kind of opening few minutes with Riley I don't feel like that's really a plot point for Buffy either I don't feel like she is really seriously thinking that like we'll get back together maybe that's not totally true she, but she was so confused by, like, what was happening in the first few minutes that, like, I would all... I don't know. I guess I'm just saying, yeah, I don't feel like, like jealousy or threatening or any of that was really part of the plot, even for Buffy. I'm certain that the thought crossed through her mind, like, oh, are, are we going to be able to get back together and will that help me? But I don't feel like she really seriously is was considering it, you know? I even have my doubts that she would have even progressed that far because, yeah. like, Buffy's in such a strange mental state that... Right, right. I think I like she I'm, was like yeah. I, th- I could see her being like oh my god it's Riley like he can't see me like this but not like oh my god it's Riley I have the emotional stamina right now to consider like what this means for like our yeah. personal future like I guess I I'm just, even I mean it as like something sort of more pa- a more passive thought for her I don't know okay not like yeah. a I just mean it would be impossible for her not to have the thought cross her mind but I don't feel like it yes yeah I don't think she's considering it I don't, I don't want to talk about the Spike stuff, but I feel like it's silly not to. I mean, I definitely thought in the beginning they were, yeah, it's just a yo-yo of a relationship. And again, there's like part of me that wants to say like, well, it can be true. You know, you can be in an unhealthy relationship that still has good aspects to it or like facets that are working. Is that what's happening here? But I mostly just feel like it's because they're about to run Spike under the rails and it's just not fair to him, you know, like that. Uh, I think the crux of my complaint is not that any of what has happened so far is totally unrealistic. It's just that they have put Spike in a variety of situations and a variety of characteristics and they just describe which ones he needs at any given moment. I find that to be frustrating. But that said, I thought this episode was mostly co- consistent and interesting. I don't know. Well, it's definitely true that they're carrying on the tradition that you can't have two viable male interests. One yeah. of them has to be, you know, the worst person in the world and the other one has to be okay. Like, I think back all yeah. the way to, you know, season three when Angel comes back and what happens in that episode or the very next episode, but then the other love interest suddenly becomes a jerk. Like, right, right, and right. And then, you know... Buffy gets together with Riley because in comparison, Parker was awful. I mean, Parker was objectively awful, right, but I right, mean, right. Like, he had to become <laughs> awful to make, make Riley look better. Yeah. And like, I just, and like now Riley looked awful to make way for 
what, this potential, like, lusting of Spike? I don't know. And then now they're making Spike look terrible because Riley comes. Like, why can't, I don't, I I think I get larger, like, the larger arcs of why all of these things happen, but there is an interesting pattern here. Yeah. I guess the part that resonated a little bit more than I wanted it to with me was how much to the forefront the fact that Buffy is using Spike was in this episode. You know, like, it was blatant that, like, she has this experience, she finds out Riley is married, and she's feeling upset and insecure about it, and so the first thing that she does is run to Spike and literally make him tell her, like, tell him that he loves her and that she's great mm-hmm. and beautiful, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's also a little over the top for her, a little on the nose. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't know what to think about it. I'm annoyed that they can't... Yeah, that, like, things have to be so toxic for them to be bad. I guess... Because that, that is true with Riley, too, where it was like there were so many legitimate right ways that that relationship could have just fizzled out and it would have made sense. And instead, they had to kind of throw all these horrible things at it to make it really dramatic. And it feels a little bit like that's what's happening here, too, is it's like, I think if they had just gone in hard on the, like, you're a, a, a demon-dealing uh, vampire who still doesn't have a soul and doesn't really care about anyone except for maybe me and my sister, and, like, that could have been enough to kind of, like, I don't know. It just feels, yeah. Mm. I'm just nervous. I don't want to watch the next episode and I don't, but I, I, I don't want to make excuses. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying right now. (laughs) Guide me. Give me something to say. (laughs) One thing that I found really interesting about this episode and I kept waiting for it to happen. And then I felt weird that no one brought it up. And then also I was like, I couldn't tell what we were supposed to believe about what Riley knows, but like, he never once said, I'm sorry about your mom. Oh, that's true. And I did think about I that I kept wondering on. if he didn't know about her mom, because they haven't been in touch. Right. So how would he know? But he never was like, hey, where's your mom? Like, I just felt like it was a really strange yeah. thing to let not, well, like, to not address. Especially because even if he didn't know, the last time he saw her, her mom was sick and in the hospital, so... Right. Or, or just out of the hospital. So like, yeah, I don't know. That's like what that's it is sort of a normal thing that one would say is like, oh, how's your mom doing? If you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I just didn't want to add that weight to the episode or something. But it is weird. It was weird. Like, I feel like, you know, when he saw Dawn, he could have just been like, I was sorry to hear about your mom or yeah. something like they don't have to linger on it. But to, like to not address it at all, like leaves this open question of like, did this not even come up? Yeah. And it's really bizarre. And you know, they also never really address... I mean, like, there's kind of a throwaway joke about Buffy dying, but, like, that's it. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I know. I was like, I wait, just feel like those are gonna... two really big things that I don't need to have, like, a half hour of the episode be devoted to it, but, like... And I'm fine with them not talking about her dying because I feel like it's sort of implied that it would come up in some way. Mm-hmm. But the not addressing Joyce, I felt, was a really, like... Well, I felt like Joyce deserved better, I agree. To be honest. She did, and she does. Also, I don't know if you were waiting for me to reply about the Spike stuff, but I think I'm just waiting to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. No, I was waiting. I guess I want to talk at least about that. It's not like I'm like, ugh. I just like, I agree. No, I I do want to talk about the breakup scene though. Okay. But tell go ahead. Sorry. I just interrupted. No, I was just going to say like, I know like this is kind of like the beginning of like where this arc is going to be really problematic yeah. and troubling and we're going to have a lot of discussion to come. And so I guess like in this episode, I just, we could talk about the breakup scene. Cause I do think it's important. 
Um, I do. I'm just... Yeah. Yeah. I, I... Yeah. I'm just trying, I guess, to reserve... Hold stuff in reserve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess what I did... Again, uh, to hit my, you know, season six, like, I don't know, slogan or something, that breakup scene worked better for me on this viewing than it probably has on any past viewing. And I think, again, a lot of that is because of how slowly we're not, it's like, when we one episode a week, like, God, how slow. But I mean, how slowly we're watching everything and to like have how much we have talked about, like where Buffy really is. And I, I do believe I did really believe her when she said it. And I feel like other times when I've watched it, I felt like it was more of a plot device than it felt to me in this particular viewing. I do feel like she got a... God, I don't want to say this the wrong way either. I do feel like they really make her dolled up and beautiful in that scene in a way that must have... That felt a little mean. Like, would you really get extra dressed up and wear that, like, particularly, like, romantic top to go and break up with somebody. I don't know that anybody was really thinking about that except for the wardrobe people thinking like, this will look great in this shot, but it did kind of feel extra twisting the knife to me. <laughs> um, but otherwise I like, she really should have worn her double meat. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like her normal <laughs> slaying, like black clothes. Like, I don't know. I, you know, I, it, it did feel like she put in quite a bit of effort to go over there and maybe some, you know, again, like maybe a facet to that is like she was stealing herself for this conversation. I know that I do that sometimes when it's like, I know I have to do something difficult, so I'll like spend time getting ready so that I feel more confident, but I don't. Anyway, okay. Now I want to dwell but on also, that. maybe it's a symbol of, maybe they meant it to reflect Buffy's change of mind where yeah. she's, she's, she's trying, not wearing her, you know, yeah. like she's not yeah. just yeah. dressed in her slaying outfit or her double me palace uniform. Like she's specifically getting dressed and going out in the world yeah. to accomplish something. And like, maybe that's supposed to reflect like, because also she's wearing a lighter I, that, color than we've seen her wear yeah. all season. And so like, I think it's just supposed to reflect her kind of start of a change of yeah mind. it does also feel like a little bit mindset, also though i should say like they're trying to say like you know what people who wear light colors are good and people who dress in black are bad that feels like a little reductive for a show like this no i took it so more as I, like i don't know her her mood has changed slightly where yeah. you know she was all in black before and she's been dressing really edgy and like all this because she's like upset and depressed but like now she's in a like you said it's a very romantic top and like flowy and her hair looks really you know it's well different, done yeah, and everything, yeah. and I just think it's like I just think it's supposed to reflect like her change of mind. Yeah, I guess part of that feels really superficial to me. In the I keep F- saying mind, but maybe like mood, right? I, I right. guess would be better. Yeah, I, I I guess I feel fifty fifty about it. It sort of works for me, and it sort of annoys me. No, I agree <laughs> that like I could see where they're coming from with that, but that it also does play as a little bit cruel. Yeah, and a little bit simple. To be like she's feeling better, so she's dressed better. You know, I I again, I'm not saying that none of that has any truth to it at all it just yeah anyway so medium I'm medium on that (laughs) um I do think I I, it bothers me that she calls him William in this scene but other than that I thought her speech was pretty fair and true I don't know I agree I honestly felt like it would have come across as more sincere if she she called him Spike yeah she's literally never called him that the fact that that's his real it's not his real name he doesn't go by that anymore you know so it's not like bringing that up is somehow more formal it's like when people try and use my full name and I'm like I don't use that so stop (laughs) yeah I'm always like who's Allison yeah I was just like that's not the name so but yeah I don't know it really sold me on the fact that they need to break up and they need to stop this now. I bought it, I guess. That's a bad thing to say. I just, I, 
I thought she did a good job making her points. I think she could have been a little bit nicer about it, but I also understand her feeling like she needs to put up extra walls, especially with Spike. But he looked sufficiently gutted in the scene also. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think we can agree that James Marsters is really acting the hell out of this. He is, yeah. Poor guy. They really, because they're really making him run the gamut as well, right? Since his personality seems, you know, flips a little bit every episode, but he, he has done a great job. I mean, we didn't talk about Willow, I'm sorry, Xander and Anya at all. I mean, they're really just running around. They're just so C-plot to this episode. Yeah, (laughs) they really, I mean, they're still, like, stressing over the wedding. wedding is stressful. Xander's family sucks. Anya's invited several demons. That was a terrible idea, clearly. Yeah. And we see them kind of contemplate that this is just the wedding and the marriage yeah. is the important part. And that's a really sweet moment. It that is. I yeah. <laughs> will try to hold on to next time. <laughs> I thought about that also. I was like, well, that's a, pr- a very mature outlook on this, but not sure that's going to really stick. Yeah. Um, Are we ready to talk about loyalty? I think so. Okay. Tell us what happened in Angel. <sighs> okay. A lot of lightly connected stories. <laughs> uh, so in the last episode, you know, we closed on this very dramatic scene where Wesley has been translating some prophecies and he is writing out his translation and it says the father will kill the son. So in this episode is, I mean, he's kind of at this, he's, he's sort of the center of the episode. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of it revolves around him continuing to investigate this. Now that he's translated this, he's not sure what he you know, what is the right next step for him to take? He seems to want to kind of get some sort of confirmation, you know, before he upsets everybody and, you know, maybe upsets the universe a little bit by revealing this. He wants to kind of cover his bases. So he goes to um, look for some extra guidance. He gets, you know, a spell from a wizard on the phone, blah, blah, blah. He goes to this statue and it turns out to be like the, (laughs) like, burger sign at a, at a burger restaurant, like where you place your orders through the drive-thru, but he took cast a spell and it works. So he has this conversation with this, like, I don't know, sort of deity or something. Um, and he's kind of saying like, Oh, is this, is this prophecy going to come true? And it tells him, well, you're not asking the right question. The question that you want isn't really if it's going to happen, but when it's going to happen. And then it reveals to him that the prophecy will come true after these like portents, which are going to be an earthquake, a fire and blood. So, um, blood in the sky, blood in the sky. So that's kind of where Wesley's at. Uh, meanwhile, Holtz is back. He's built up his little demon hunt. Well, not even demon hunting angel and vampire hunting gang. So he now has more than just a steam. He has kind of a whole host of people. Um, and it turns out they've been spying on angel investigations this whole time, like keeping close notes. They know who everybody is and they're going to use all that information to try and, uh, I guess, try and kill them all. Um, and they sort of, they, they come close to succeeding. They know that, uh, gun is kind of brash and will act quickly. And so they send, uh, you know, one of their members to angel investigations with a half fake sob story about her son getting, uh, turned into a vampire. And she tells them, Oh, he was by the pier. And so they go out to the pier, Fred and gun do to try and find, do reconnaissance on the vampires. But instead gun just decides when they see one that he's just going to rush in and kill it. And he almost dies, except that Fred sticks sticks behind and helps him kill the vampires. So the, fr- the little plan doesn't exactly work. Uh, 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to sort of go through these like one by one, even though they sort of inter- overlap with one another. But like, that's what <laughs> Fred and Gunn are doing this episode. Also, they're sort of re-contemplating their relationship because it seems like they both have seen Wesley be a little bit jealous about it. And then they aren't sure if it makes sense for them to, you know, be romantically involved while they're working or if they need to draw certain boundaries or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, they decide they're going to keep dating. <laughs> uh, also... The demon guy, I don't know his name, nor do I care to learn it, who brought Holtz back is mad because Holtz isn't really doing what he... call him Shazam, because that's (laughs) what it kind of sounded like. Shazna or Sajna, Sajan or something. I was like actively tuning it out. Who cares about this guy? He is mad because Holtz isn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, or at least he's not doing it the way he wants him to. So instead he goes and tries to, or goes to hire Lila um, <clears throat> who is, it seems more than willing to help him out. And he says like, oh, but the thing I need is going to be so difficult. What I need is Connor's blood. And she's like, we've got it, which was actually a great scene for Lila. Um, so they're sort of in cahoots. It's not clear to me, uh, what he's going to use that blood for, but assume presumably something will come out of that. Anyway, they, uh, I'll try and wrap it up. Suffice it to say at the end of the episode, Wesley goes and finds Holtz and they have a face-to-face confrontation and, Wesley kind of admits that he is really, well, not kind of admits, he admits that he's really scared, not of what Angel will do, but that he'll at some point be turned back to Angelus, and then that's how he's going to end up killing his own son. Um, But after he returns home, he sees Angel with Connor, and he sees how loving he is, and they have this really nice conversation, and he decides, like, it's so ludicrous that I could ever believe that you would kill his son. But then, of course, an earthquake hits. Uh... (laughs) the um, angel's little stove oven explodes and there's a big fire. And then angel gets knocked with something in the head and is bleeding profusely. And it drips on Connor's little baby blanket, which is a blue sky, sky blue color. And then angel says something super creepy, just like my Google home. (laughs) Um, And that's the end. There were a lot more details. Sorry. That was, you know, trying to go through them one by one, but there was like a hundred things happened and also kind of nothing happened. So yeah, and the show is trying really hard, I think, to make these prophecies important matter yeah. and also come true. So, like, this this hamburger guy tells Wesley, <laughs> yeah. you know hamburger the answers, guy. you just, yeah, you just need the question. And then Angel also says that to him. So it's it's interesting that this keeps getting repeated. And then also this everything that this burger guy is telling him is true in a way. So, like, yes, there's an earthquake, yes, there's a fire, and then the blood in the sky is, like, Connor's baby blanket is a pattern that's blue with clouds on mm-hmm. it. So there's blood in the sky. And then also he's saying Angel will devour the child. Like, he's saying, like, that will happen. And knowing what I know about the next few episodes, like, technically that's true. I don't but, remember how this resolves Well, itself. it comes back to, like, the, what they needed Connor's blood for. Okay. So, if I'm remembering correctly, I think they end up spiking Angel's blood with Connor's blood. Okay, sure. So, he will devour the child, technically. But it's like, they're trying so hard. And, like, it's not all evident in this episode. Like, I only know this because, spoilers, I've seen it before. Mm -hmm. But, like, it is, it's a lot of heavy lifting that I'm not sure is really working yet. Um, I don't think it's working, period. I feel like this episode gave yeah. me whiplash. I thought Wesley was so compelling. I like had multiple times where I was like, oh my God, that's right. This is why I love Wesley. And like, I thought he was just, he was so interesting. 
I yes. I really like there I I have nothing bad to say about him in this episode. I thought he was so so good. And you know, like it was it wasn't refreshing. It was kind of the opposite, you know, because it wasn't like a positive storyline, but like Wesley's been in the show for a long time and having him spending a lot of time with him going through this really dark time alone. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying that like, he's such a well-established character at this point that watching him go through what seems to be a real struggle was so like impactful because I know what it means for him to be considering these things. And it just made it, like I said, like it felt like so much whiplash because then they immediately kept cutting back and forth to Holtz and to this nameless demon. And it's like, only highlighting how little I care about them and also how like light they are as characters. Like they're so not grounded the way that Wesley is. It's so hard to be interested in their dumb, dumb stories and plots. I don't care about your machinations. I care so much about Wesley struggling with this horrible secret that he doesn't know how or if he can tell anyone. He doesn't know what to do with it. You know, he doesn't know what his responsibilities are, both to Angel and to Connor and to the world. Like, he's dealing with such big issues, and I cared about he, the pain on his face. Like, everything about it was like, oh my god. They could have literally cut everybody else out of this episode, and it would have been much better. Like, I mean, if it had literally only been Wesley, like, I could have watched him alone in a room for 40 minutes, and I think that would have been better. So I'm so glad you said all of that, because when I say there's a lot of heavy lifting, and I think it might start to pay off, the way that I mean that is oh. not all the prophecy yeah. garbage. The Wesley it's that payoff. The Wesley angle yes. of it all. And I, because I actually wrote in my notes that I really think this is the point where, now I have been let down so many times over the last couple seasons yes. of this show. Where we keep but, wondering when it gets good. <laughs> yes, but I also have a really clear memory of not liking the direction a lot of the plot goes in this season, but loving every minute of, like, I mean, Wesley is my favorite character on Angel. Yeah. And this arc is why. Yeah. And I was thinking watching this episode as we see it start to play out and like the beginnings of everything like Wesley's just had his heart broken he's still trying to lead the team and figure out what's going on with Connor and trying to take care of business and like you know really be the guy that I was like is it's time to consider that Wesley is the secret real main character of Angel yes like yes. Angel is the the title character but this is a show that has now become about Wesley. He's the boss. Yeah. He's the leader of the team. We just got a whole episode of him trying to figure out the prophecy from his point of view. Mm -hmm. Angel's a side character. Mm -hmm. He's allowed to change throughout the series and have a real character arc where Angel barely gets a nod in that direction. Yeah. Like, Angel just tells more jokes. <laughs> yeah, really Angel lightens up a little bit, but like, <laughs> but he doesn't really grow and change no. in the way that we see Wesley from episode 10 of season one to the last episode of the show. Mm -hmm. I talk about this a lot. Like, he's a totally different character. And it's not because they forgot how to write him. It's because they wrote his journey. And yeah. this is really where we start to see... Yeah. It's not the beginning of it, but it's where it really starts to kind of, like, coalesce. And we're really seeing this, like, huge shift that's about to happen. I mean, like, his interaction mm -hmm. with Holtz and his team... Yeah, he almost so, made Holtz so weirdly confident. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, he holds his own and he knows what he's there for. Yes. And, and, and he's letting his doubts show, but also, like... It's he, he and Holtz have doubts for different reasons. Like Holtz thinks that Angel can't be saved and that his soul doesn't mean anything. But Wesley is just not convinced of that. But he's fearful for his friend. Yeah. If 
if he turns out to be right. Yes. That it's not because of the damage that Angelus will do. I mean, that's part of it. But it's also, what is the damage that he will do to Angel? Yeah. But to see it all from Wesley's point of view, like, Angel is in the background. Like, he's yeah. got the B-plot here yeah. where he's like, oh, what's, you know, I, my son is sick. I got to take him to the doctor. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, And that's all in service of them getting... Connor's blood anyway like Angel isn't doing anything of consequence in this episode he doesn't even go and fight the vampires like this is Wesley's show and yeah it's really I mean I'm excited because like Wesley is way more interesting I mean and just like with you know James Marsters in the last episode like man Allison Denisoff can sell Allison Denisoff I'm sorry Allison (laughs) sorry sorry wait oh my god what is his name Alexis thank you I'm Sorry. laughing that you said that because, it's because of Allison Allison Hannigan. Hannigan's yeah. <laughs> Twitter handle is Allie Denisoff. That's probably... And then, like, it says, this is Allison, not Alexis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I have her name in my head because I think about them and how cute they are together and all that stuff. Anyway, just as with James Marsters, Alexis Denisoff, I think, is pre- is is a is pretty good at conveying pain on his face. I don't know. He was just so conflicted in this episode, and I just like I really really loved it. Um, but I don't. I mean, yeah. I agree. I agree with everything that you said. I'm very interested and excited to see where it goes because I also remember it being compelling and good. I just am so bitter that these other stupid storylines still have to be involved in it somehow. But like. You're right that, like, I, like, him having a, going and having a face-to-face conversation with Holtz is literally the first first time I've ever cared at all about Holtz. And I still don't want to say that I care about him. It was just a much more interesting conversation than all of Holtz's stupid, um, like, proselytizing to these stupid people. It put his whole mission into better relief than him just saying like, oh, you killed my wife and child. Like, I mean, he's having a philosophical debate with Wesley about whether Angel having a soul changes anything. That's true. That's way more interesting than him saying you killed my daughter. I mean, I I guess what is ultimately annoying to me, though, is that I still truthfully and I feel like Wesley sort of said this to him like, oh, you are still just out for vengeance. So it's like, yes. yes, Holtz can have this conversation with him, but it doesn't change who Holtz is or who his motivation is. So it's like, he's still irritating as as an antagonist because he's just so simple-minded about this situation, which Wesley is over there, like, dissecting in a thousand ways and is, like, clearly treating it with the, like, nuance that it deserves. We, meanwhile, we, like, still have Joe Blow Holtz over here being like, vampires are bad, you know? It's like, he had that dumb line in here where Justine was like, or he said something to Justine about his like little protege or whatever about how, well, I made a deal with a demon. And she's like, that's different because you only did it to kill a vampire. And I was like, that is the stupidest conversation I've ever seen in this entire show. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Who out there is like, oh, vampires are really the ultimate evil. Every other demon is totally fine. Or at least or that not as willing bad. to give yourself like, a pass because it's all in the exactly. Name of, like, I'm like that was your vendetta. I mean, like, and to be no. fair, maybe that is a little bit real world, just the way a lot of people in the world conduct themselves. But like, it was just so stupid. I don't know. I, I guess I'm never gonna forgive them for Holtz. I think he is a bad, bad story. I think part of the problem is to your point and to the point that we've made repeatedly. Everybody else on this show is more interesting than Angel. And so all of even the, you know, like the Gru storyline, Cordelia storylines, those are all so much more compelling. And that the fact that we're still having to like now we found something that's really fruitful and it's Wesley and he's still having to wade through all these stupid Angel characters that like have little to do with Wesley. And it's like he's making it work. 
because I think the Wesley storyline and the Wesley acting and all of these things are currently good enough that they are really elevating the rest of that. But it's still annoying that like, that's the road that we have to go down is like, it still has to ultimately all revolve around angel. It still has to be these things from his ancient past that nobody cares about. So I don't know. You know, that's a really interesting point too, that angel <clears throat> isn't really compelling, but it just occurred to me. This problem is that in five seasons, I don't think angel ever once had a compelling big bad. Yeah. Like, the first season, it's Wolfram and Hart, yeah. but that got boring pretty quickly. Then it's Darla and, like, that oh, God. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then, now it's and Holtz. then it's Holtz. And then, you know, then there's all kinds of nonsense next season, and then it's, you yeah. know, unclear after that. It's, like, I mean, the senior partners or something. You know, it's, like, Angel, for a show that is supposed to be about fighting evil and a show that is written by people who came up with the mayor yeah. and, you know, even Angelus and came up with um, Glory and all of that. And they, they never translated this idea of a compelling villain over to Angel. I think a lot of the problem is because they are thinking of Angel ultimately as the main character. And Angel is such a, he's so, so flat. And he's such a just, you know, he's kind of the straight man sometimes in this show that like trying to write an antagonist that can successfully play off of his personality, which is limited, is like part of the problem. You know what I mean? Where it's like they're trying to make trying to reflect, you know, like sometimes the antagonist is like a reflection of the protagonist. But when you try and reflect Angel, ha, wait, he's a vampire. and He doesn't have one. I didn't mean to walk into that metaphor, but it works great. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I like think truthfully, that's a good point. it's like, like what, maybe what, part of what makes what do you antagonize him villains. with? It's just his soul yeah. and his own torment, and they sometimes make that work. But it really, it really works better when he's reflecting and when it's more about the other characters and what it does to them. Because, like for example, like we're talking about Wesley in this episode. What's so interesting isn't Angel's inner, inner torment about all the people that he's killed and all this stuff because we've seen that hashed out again and again and again. But what is interesting is watching somebody else think about what are my moral responsibilities to everybody around me who I love and to Angel himself because knowing that he is essentially a bomb that could go off at any moment. I mean, not at any moment. There's obviously these restrictions on it, but like there's just are no guarantees that he's safe. So like, yeah, that is all instantly more interesting and more like nuanced and more rich than just seeing angels torment over and over again. And they seem to kind of always think that like, that's enough or that's fine. And it's, it's not. I think that's such a good point. I think maybe that's the thing that, first of all, I do think angel has a villain problem, but I also think that you're right in that the main character can never truly feel that threatened by the villains because he is set up in a way to be so invincible. Yeah. And then they're not, because he also is kind of flat emotionally, there's not, like, there's no way there's to, to tug on. Yeah. Like, yeah, but, like, part of what makes Buffy's villains so compelling is, like, the ways that it makes Buffy think about herself. Yeah. Like, yes. when she fights Glory, you know, she's confronting this idea that, like, she has an unbeatable opponent, and, but what does that mean for someone who's really been lucky so far with, like, her her defeat of these villains? When she fights the mayor, she really has to think about this idea of, like, he, you know, everything he's saying about her and comparing her to Faith and, like, yeah. all of that. And then, you know, even fighting Angel and this idea that, like, she has to kill this the thing that she loves, that she loves yeah. and, like, yeah, you're right in that. I think Buffy has more to lose and more facets to play against that 
maybe that's what helps, but I don't know, like even giving Angel, making him more three-dimensional and putting him against someone like Holtz, I'm still not convinced that it's that interesting. I think the other issue, yeah, is that, again, like, and that, that they try, I think, too hard to have it both ways in Angel also, especially in those early seasons. They were trying really hard. On the one hand, it is a show about fighting evil, but it was also... I think out the gate, a show that was a, about a much more gray area than in good and evil than Buffy ever was. And I think that's also like, it's hard to make a good villain out of like, everyone's kind of right. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Again, it's just like, there's no structure to it. I don't know. But I'm also worried that they're going to go too far in the other direction, which is because I don't, I, I only, as I've said a hundred times, I only remember some kind of big plot points, but I really don't remember how they develop or what happens. So it's like, it's very interesting to see Wesley as kind of not the villain, but maybe the antagonist in to Angel in this, in this episode and in this moment. But I think they're also going to end up going too hard and like, I know we'll just make everyone around him, the you know, all of his friends and family, the villains. And like, I think that's also going to be a mistake down the road, but to get back to it, we sh- let's just enjoy Wesley in this episode and enjoy Wesley as long as we can because he is really a gem. I I genuinely stopped in my stopped several times as I was taking notes and was just like, oh, Wesley's so cool. Like Wesley's great. Wesley's scruff is great. Like everything about him is great. I thought that opening nightmare was compelling and I liked. I really liked the way that they yeah. set that up. I like all of his reactions. I I don't have anything new to add except how much I liked. Him. I had this thought where I was watching this episode and I was thinking back to the first episode where Wesley shows up in Buffy and I'm like, who would have imagined Wesley would be this hot? Yeah, I know. (laughs) This little five o'clock shadow was really working for me. (laughs) No, but all of it, it's not even just that. It's like his demeanor, like his confidence. All of that is like, I mean, and it's all definitely in service of a fall that's going to happen, right? But like, you know, also you mentioned this, I think like, just Wesley feeling the weight of like trying to figure this out and you know we're definitely going to see like the stress and the toll that it takes on him and like maybe as we said last time like if people would just sit down and have a conversation like things could be avoided but um I I think from here on out I'm just going to pretend that this show is called Wesley yeah (laughs) (laughs) I like that and he's just got a vampire sidekick. Yes, Wesley and his vampire friend. Yeah. Um, I wonder, though, like, I think about that, like, you know, the show put Wesley in charge of the team, and they've never really gone back from that, and they definitely could have reversed at <clears> some <throat> point. Like, Wesley and Angel could have a chat where Wesley's yeah. like, you know, I think it's time you took over again or whatever, but, like, I wonder if that's on some level the writers realizing that, like, Angel works better as an ensemble player and as, like, the muscle and not the the thing that you pin all of your stories on. I don't know, because I think they're going to throw him in the middle again soon. Yeah. Well, I think he does kind of take over again at the end of this yeah. season. But I guess that's ultimately the problem here, is that the writers don't seem to, like, learn any lessons as they go on, because it's, like, it just it seems so scattershot, and when they do something really good, we're like, great, they finally figured it out, they've cracked the code, and then all of a sudden they're back to, the, like, something unrelated. Yeah. Um, I mean, sorry, about the rest of the episode, I have to say, <laughs> I remember liking Fred and Gunn a lot more, and I still, Same. I still like them on paper, <laughs> but like, God was there. I could not, I don't want to watch them debate their relationship every episode. I thought that was very boring. 
I found myself wishing... They're boring, and when they're mushy, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I found myself wishing that they had set up this whole breakfast... This, like, oh, it's always been going on that they get breakfast together. Like, I wish they had shown us that earlier before they actually became romantically linked because I think that would have really helped set the stage for why... Because, I mean, other other than that, they were doing, I think, a decent job of showing, like, how they were flirtatious and they were friends and they had this good rapport. But I feel like it would have been nice to see a little bit more of that, like, blossom instead of then, yes, you're right, we, like, went zero to yeah. zero to gushy. And that was the wrong move, especially since I think you're they're just right, not great at carrying now it out. it comes across as less of a foundation and, like, more of a retcon. Yeah, it does feel like a retcon. Even though I know that they were flirting, and it's not a retcon. Or their relationship isn't something that needs to be retcon. No, but the, the breakfast, breakfast I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So I did not... Like it could have been a foundation of, like, oh, they're friends, and they just sort of flirt their way into, like, feelings. Yeah. But, like, no, it feels like, oh, you've been having breakfast that we never see, and it only comes no, up in this yeah. episode where you want us to get on board with your relationship. Cool, cool. Yeah. I also feel like they kept accusing Wesley of being jealous. I didn't really feel like he did anything this episode, but then I thought maybe, maybe I just missed a scene or something. I don't know. No, I, I, I didn't really feel like he like, was doing. It. He did. He did stuff last week, and maybe that was more what they were reacting to. But I didn't really feel like he was like. He didn't like say they couldn't work together. I don't know. Yeah, that that was a little bizarre. Um. Okay, sorry. I mentioned this in my summary. One standout moment, even though I hate this nameless demon. Uh, I loved when he was talking to Lila and like, oh, I need your help. I have this thing. Oh, I just, I need Connor's blood. It's going to be impossible to get. And then she just reacts with like, oh, we already have it. I thought that was great. I liked Lila, I guess. I thought she was nice. I, I wish they yeah, were bringing her like in some her, different like, way, but I appreciated her yeah. and I still enjoy her as a character. Also, I love that she's just not at all afraid of him. Yeah, like that yeah. she has no time for him and she's just like, okay, we settled this. Goodbye. Yeah. Like, you know, he's like, I time traveled for this. And she's like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was very satisfying. Lila doesn't take anyone's nonsense. Um, also, we kind of got a mo- an idea of why Lila does this. So mm. I thought this was interesting. It was the first window into sort of humanizing Lila, but also like answering why she might work at a place like Wolfram and Hart. Mm-hmm. And we get the idea that her mother is sick and suffering from dementia and like maybe Lila wanted to put her in a nice facility or something mm-hmm. and um, or maybe it was promised that her mother could be cured right. or something. I mean, that's all I'm just guessing. But right. like it, it is a little bit of a window into Lila's personal life that we haven't really gotten. Yeah. I mean, we don't know anything about Lila. It's really. True. I mean, like we we got to know Lindsay's. Not so much his personal life, but, like, maybe yeah, a little bit. I think because so. he was in love with Darla, right. but also <laughs> we learned a little bit more about his background. Like, he came from a really poor background, and so money and success, like, was really attractive to him. But we've never learned anything about Lila. Yeah. Okay, we should wrap it up. This episode has gone very long, and I only just now realized it. <laughs> uh, so, any closing thoughts that we haven't no, already I really touched I'm, on? I think I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I was just like, wait a minute, what time is it? We had more to say about As You Were than we thought. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so uh, the next episode's up. uh, Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells. Should be interesting. Oh, boy. Uh, For Buffy, and then for Angel, it's an episode called Sleep Tight. Could be anything, as usual. Yep. I said that like I know what it is. I do not. Um, For all my complaining about Angel, I did think he was pretty cute in this episode you know buying little hockey sticks for his son being yeah, cooing I like and to calling think Buffy over rubbed him. off on him with the ice skating. yeah 
Um, and Cordelia, I didn't mention this, but Cordelia's not in this episode at all. I mean, we saw Angel send her off on a vacation with Gru in the last episode, but that continued into this one. I mean, I definitely missed her, but glad that it gave us some more Wesley time. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Uh, do you have any pop culture notes this week? I feel like it's not always quote unquote recommendations, so I'll be a little more general. <laughs> um, I do. I don't want to spend too much time on it, though, because I, I do recognize that we're we're going over the hour 10 here. Yeah. But um, yeah, I read I recently read. Um, so the the woman who used to edit Gourmet magazine, um, she was the editor for the last 10 years of the magazine before it folded. Um, her name is Ruth. It's either Rachel or Reichel. I'm Mm -hmm. not really sure how you say that. But um, she wrote a memoir about her time at the magazine. And I just read it. And I read it in like two days. It's a really quick read. It's not very long. Um, It was fascinating. Like a window into this idea of... I mean, it's a Condé Nast magazine, or it was. Mm -hmm. So this really glamorous lifestyle of what the editors got Mm -hmm. with this job, right? Like... Not only did she get an amazing salary and office and all that, she got a clothing allowance mm. and a driver, and, like, she's not even working at a fashion magazine, yeah. right? Wow. Um, and all of that was really interesting, but also just, like, the time that it covers is, like, the late, like, mid to late 90s through, like, mid to late 2010s mm-hmm. and, um, like, the aughts, and it covers 9-11 and all of this, and I just, like, first of all, she's a really great writer. Yeah. And I thought the 9-11 chapters were super affecting. Like, I was, like, mm-hmm. way more emotional about them than I would have thought I would be, like, however many years later, you know? Yeah. But um, she just covered it from an angle that I hadn't really considered before. Like, they're they're making food to go bring to the firefighters and all of this. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. I thought it was just really, really good. So if you're interested in food and food writing, yeah. um, I, I would highly recommend okay. it. Okay. It's called Save Me the Plums. Ooh. It's a good title. Um, cool. How about you? Uh, I got nothing. All right. Ooh, we're switching yeah. places this week. <laughs> um, okay, so what team are you on? Uh, I'm going to be Team Riley, because I spent like 30 yeah, minutes talking about how great yeah. I, I was in this episode. Plus, it's your last chance. <laughs> exactly, and so. as a final farewell... I yeah. know. And he didn't, like, it's not like a final farewell, and he, like, it was like a dud. Exactly, like, he, he went really out on a bang. Up, so. yeah. yeah. Nice work. Yeah, redeemed him a little yes. bit. I never blame Riley for Me that. Me neither. <laughs> um, okay, right. so next time we're going to talk about Hell Spells and Sleep Tight. Yes. All right, I'll talk to you okay. later. bye. <laughs> bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.